Always good to be with you guys. I look forward to it every week, looking at your ornery faces, especially Justin Brooks's ornery face. Just has that look about him, that Boston, Massachusetts look, that Patriots look, that Celtics look, the Red Sox look. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we are going to zip through this. How many of you like short sermons? Don't say amen, don't raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Are we having food? No food today. It's just short. We've got to do some Easter game planning afterwards. That's what we're going to be doing. Fill in the blank here. Say it out loud. A picture is worth a thousand words. Do you remember in the old days taking pictures? You know, we have cell phones now, so you can take your picture. You can look at it immediately, see if it's a good picture. If it's a bad picture, you just delete it. Back in the old days, you took your picture and you had no idea until you went to Walgreens you realize you took 40 pictures, 36 of them were of your kneecap on accident. You didn't even know that. Two of them were blurry and two of them were good. And so out of 40, you had two good pictures. And you just say, hey, at least we got two good pictures. Instagram is popular because of pictures. It's picture-oriented. Snapchat is popular because it is picture-oriented, though be careful because I don't think there's a lot of accountability on Snapchat. I think uh, don't those pictures disappear after a certain amount of time? Seven seconds, nine seconds. I don't know too much about it. Jesus would have been big on Instagram. Didn't think you'd hear me say that. Jesus would have been big on Snapchat. He would have been cutting edge because he was a picture guy. He liked giving us pictures whenever he taught. We call them parables. But really, in this passage today, he gives us three pictures to process in our minds. Beginning with verse 21, he talks about the lamp. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Jesus is saying, it doesn't make any sense to take a lamp and to hide it under a bed. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Put it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. If your ringtone was that song then that would have been okay, Lisa, I'm telling you. But now you know why I don't sing. Hey, I have an older brother who liked to hide things. Let me tell you about this. I need to do some therapy with you guys today. Uh, you're going to be my therapist. I, I just need to get this off my chest. He's three years older than me. An odd thing would happen. My mother would go to the grocery store, and she'd get some cereal. We were cereal addicts, okay? We, we are cereal experts in the Bolt House growing up. Uh, we had cereal every morning for breakfast, most of the cereal she got was average to above average cereal, but usually every grocery trip she would bring home one really good box, Lucky Charms. I'll just tell you what it was. It was Lucky Charms. But weirdly, the next day when I got up for breakfast, as I was looking forward to it in my sleep to eat the Lucky Charms, I couldn't find the Lucky Charms. And what I discovered years later, one day whenever my mother asked me to go get a potato out of the potato bin, I grabbed the potato out of the potato bin, and in the dark corners of the, of the potato bin, underneath the potatoes, was a box of hidden Lucky Charms. That's, come on now, 
That's rough stuff. That was emotional for me. And I, I realized I started putting two to two together because I'm an amazing detective. I realized that's my older brother. He'd been hiding the Lucky Charms. He gets it in the morning and puts it back underneath the potato bin. He had been hiding the, the, the Lucky Charms. Now, if he was telling you the story today, he would tell you that I was the one hiding the cereal. And the reason he would tell you that is because after a couple years, it is true. I started, to, <laughs> I started to get the box first. I did it a few times because I did what the Lord said. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, unless it's a Lucky Charm box being hidden. So I was following the ways of Jesus. But why did he hide that treasure? Because it was limited. It was going to run out. Who knows how long that Lucky Charms box was going to last. The great news about the good news is, is that it's unlimited news. The great news about the good news is that it's unlimited news. It, it has an unlimited scope. It is for all people, for every color group, for every ethnic group. There is no favorites with God. The blood of Christ never runs out. Isn't that good news? And that is one of the great news about the good news is that it's unlimited news. So it doesn't make any sense. Okay, hide Lucky Charms, I get it. It was mean. But hide the gospel, put it under a bed, doesn't make any sense. That's all Jesus is saying here. Did you know that Satan is sometimes referred to as darkness? Ephesians 6.12, he's called the ruler of the darkness of this world. Sometimes he's referred to as the prince of darkness, though I couldn't find that in Scripture. I think it's just a name that we've come up with. Jesus calls himself the opposite. John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the what? Light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Beginning at John 1, Jesus is called the word of God. And interestingly, he says this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you know that the word of God is also called a light? In Psalm 119, it says, your word is a light for my feet, a light on my path. God is called the light. In 1 John 1, it says, this is the message we have heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, walking in Jesus, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? John 12, 36 says, believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. Did you know when we get to heaven, for all those who have their belief in Jesus, when we get to heaven, we won't need a sun or a moon to brighten the place. Do you know why? Revelation 21, 23 tells us, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it what? Light. Now catch this. And the lamb is its lamp. So you don't hide the lamp under a bushel. No, we're going to let it shine. Last week, you filled out a card, filled out two cards. You put three names on it of people you're going to pray for to come to Easter. I've been praying for those names. Uh, so the second one came to me, and I've been praying for it. But what is that all about, the three cards? It's simply initiating the fact that we're going to shine our light to other people we know. 
A.W. Milne may not be a name that you've ever heard of. In, in the early 1800s, he was an unknown guy. He and his wife left the comforts of their home to be a missionary in an island in the South Pacific, in an area that they didn't have the Bible translated in their language. So they committed to translating the Bible in this particular tribe's language. But what's interesting about A.W. Milne is they didn't pack suitcases. They packed caskets. The reason was they didn't believe that they were ever going to get to come back home. The seven missionaries before him that went to this South Pacific island never came back. They were all martyred for Christ in their first year there. So they packed caskets. They bought one-way tickets, believing they'd never come home. And they were right. They never came home. They stayed there for 35 years. They shared the light of the gospel of Jesus. Their kids grew up in their school systems. They ended up having a great impact in translating the Bible in their language. And whenever A.W. Milne died, they wrote this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? For your family, for your friends, for your neighbors. Hey, whenever he moved in, into the neighborhood, there was no light. But whenever he left, there was no darkness. Do you know how you do that? You take your, life, uh, your light, your lamp, and you put it up on a lampstand. You don't hide it under a bed. That's what Jesus is teaching us in this passage right here. He said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Next picture, next parable, verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Remember that, we're coming back to it. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. We have any farmers in here today? Any farming history? Yeah, Southern Illinois farmer right back there, folks, the brightest in the country. That's what that means right there. Interesting statement. The farmer doesn't know how it grows. He puts it in the soil. There's plowing. There's fertilizing nowadays. He wakes up one morning, five months later, prayerfully, something showed up. I thought the older I got, the more I would know about life. You know what I've learned? The older I get, the less I know about life. Can anybody relate? Thank you. I used to think I knew a lot about parenting until I had kids. Then I realized I don't know anything. And then we kept having kids. And I knew less and less. And so what I just started to discover is whenever they act up, blame it on her. Blame it on my wife. They're taking after your side. And then she told me, you don't know how to husband either. So I don't, really, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. Have you ever felt that way? I really don't know what I'm doing. People ask, what's the next step for this church? You want to hear my theological answer? My deep entrepreneurial answer? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know how we gathered this group. I don't know how it happened, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what the farmer did. We're going we're to scatter the seed. We're going to keep planting the seed. We're going to keep watering the seed. We're going to keep shining the light. We're going to keep letting people see the lamp of Jesus Christ. We're going to just keep doing that. And if it grows, it grows. But I got to tell you, we really don't know how it happens. I play no role 
and the transformative heart that you have in your life. I can't change a heart. Only Jesus can do that. Listen, this church can't change anybody's heart. Only Jesus can do that. Our job is of the farmer. We keep scattering, we keep scattering, we keep scattering, and for several months, the farmer gets up in the morning and wonders, is anything going to happen? But one day he gets up, and the seed, there's a stalk, there's a grain, and we don't know how it happened. You know what? I'm going to get this off my chest. Another therapy session. Every now and then, parents have kids that turn out really good. And I hear other parents ask them, how did you do it? I wish there would be a set of parents someday that would just be truthful. (laughs) This is what I hear. Oh, this is how we did it. We read this book, and we did A, B, and C, and D, and E, and F. And if you would do that, your kids would get better. Here's what I wish they would say, just by the grace of God. I didn't know what I was doing. We did what we could. Yeah, we read a book. We tried to follow some Proverbs. We didn't know what we were doing. And and here's why I say that. There's some parents who have done everything right, and their kids went off the deep end. And there are some parents who did nothing right, and their kids picked themselves up and put themselves on their feet, and they made We don't know... (laughs) And I wish somebody would just say, it's by the grace of God. Crowd participation, be a leader, participate in this. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to answer, by the grace of God, out loud. Use your mouth, by the grace of God. You know why you're here today? You know why you're going to eat food this week? Why is this church here today? Why are you saved and going to heaven? Why did it not rain this morning when it was supposed to? Although during teardown, it might be. Why do you get the opportunity to live in the greatest city in America, Houston, Texas? I lost some of you right there. Okay. Hey, we're not awesome. God is awesome. We're not spectacular. He's spectacular. We are not something to behold. He is everything to behold. We don't know how it works. He does. And we're going to leave it to him. And Jesus says, "Eh, the farmer doesn't know. Paul had to teach the arrogant church in Corinth this lesson. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul said, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it. But who made it grow? God made it grow. That doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing, just so you know. We're going to keep putting flyers out. We're going to keep inviting people. We're going to keep, I'm going to preach the best sermon I can preach every week, just so you know. I know you're a little surprised. That's your best, but just stay with me here. We're going to give it all we have, but at the end of the day, it's God who makes it grow, so it's him who gets the glory. Verse 30, last picture. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what picture, what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. He's wrong. It wasn't the smallest. They're smaller seeds, but it was the smallest that the, that, that, that the Hebrews would plant. So it was the smallest in their mind out of all the herbs. I always call it herbs, and she tells me it's not herbs. Nathan, you're 37. Come on. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. 
He did not say anything to them without using a picture or a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Okay, here's, here's what I want you to catch. The seed is on schedule. I'm going to just say it again. Let's sink in. The seed is on schedule. It is. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let's talk about three things. This church, the seed is on schedule. We are a parachute plant church. You know what that means? No other church gave us 400 people. Nobody gave us $3 million. No mother church gave us $3 million, did they? Now, if you know a church that has $3 million, we, we are not a satellite or a, a branch off. We are a parachute plant church. Now, here's what you need to know about that. Ed Stetzer did some stats. Here's the first stat I want to give you. An average parachute plant church in year one averages 42. In year two averages 55. In year three averages 73. And by year four, they average 84. That is the average parachute plant church statistics in the United States of America. Three months ago, or four months ago, next stat, uh, in January, we were in the 40s, and we hadn't even grand opened yet. We grand opened January 20th, so I, I correct that, mid-January. This last month, two months later, in the month of March, this is what we did. We hung out for the first time in the 80s last month. Now, the average parachute doesn't get to the 80s until year four. I just want to tell you this. The seed is on schedule. Now, it may seem, ah, well, I know other big churches, Nathan. Have you driven around Houston? And they're 80 years old. We're a par- and that's good for them. I root for them. I pray for them. I meet with some of their preachers, and we are on the same team. But just so you know, for this church, the seed is on schedule. Does it start small? Yes. Does the seed grow slowly? It feels like it. Ask any farmer, but it's on schedule. It's on schedule for the church, his church. I, I run into people, when you talk about the church around the world, they act like we're gasping for air, like we're going backwards. Oh no, what's happening to the church? I just got to tell you, they're dead wrong. I'm going to show you some statistics. It may have started small. Christianity started small 2,000 years ago. Uh, it started with 12 people. It went to 120 people in the upper room. It started small, but it's been booming ever since. Here, look at this. 100 A.D., there were 181 million people on earth. There were 500,000 born-again Christians, a ratio of 306 lost people to every saved person on the planet. 1,000 A.D., there were 270 million people on earth. There were now 100 million born-again Christians, a ratio of 269 lost people to one saved. 1,500 A.D., 425 million people on earth. 5 million born-again Christians, a ratio of 84 to 1 lost people to saved people. In 1,900, now we're coming to more modern day, there were 1.6 billion people on earth. There were 40 million born-again Christians, a ratio of 40 to 1. By 1950, there were 2.5 billion people on earth, 80 million born-again Christians, a ratio of 30 to 1. 1980, 4.5 billion people on earth, 275 million born-again Christians, 15 to 1 ratio. By 1990, there were 5.2 billion people and 500 million born-again Christians, a ratio of 9 to 1. Don't tell me the church isn't doing its work. 
Don't tell me the gospel isn't flourishing. Don't tell me we're gasping for air. The seed is on schedule. Globally, the church is growing by 80,000 people a day. There's 510 new churches are formed every day. In Africa, Christianity will have grown from 143 million people in 1970, 38% of the continent's population, to 630 million by 2020, almost half of the continent's population. Isn't that good news? In Asia, Christianity is growing more than twice as fast as the general population, mostly through conversions. Asia has seen the number, uh, number has seen the number of Christians double from 1970 to 2010. Let me just tell you, the church has had small beginnings, but the gospel is growing, the gospel is working, the gospel is flourishing. It was planted, it was planted, it was watered, it was watered, and it is growing. The seed is on schedule. Let me just tell you this. Your seed is on schedule. Your seed. You say, ah, I've had some hiccups. I've had some moments of backtracking. Oh, well, let me raise my hand. Let me give you the epitome of backtracking. I have some days where I wonder if I'm even a Christian, <laughs> the way I feel. And some of the thoughts that go through my head, that can't be of the Lord. I've had some moments where I thought, is my seed on schedule? Well, I just want you to know, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You're here today, aren't you? You're listening to the gospel. It's being planted. It's being watered. So let me just close out with this. And I want everybody to say it out loud with me. Don't despise small beginnings. Let's do it together. Don't despise small beginnings. We live in the West where everything has to be big and grand and loud and amazing. And if it's not, then it's not successful. And we've done it to the church. And that's a successful church, and that small one's not. Whoa, 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 whoa. That just speaks of our immaturity. Just going to tell you. That is not biblical at all. Actually, the Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. Let me tell you where it's written. In the book of Zechariah, they were working on a new temple. The old temple had been torn down, grand temple, so they started to build a new temple, and there were some guys, as it was starting to be erected, there were some guys, some older guys, who said, that's not as good as the old temple. <laughs> you ever heard that? It's not as good as the good old days. Back when we had our temple, the one we walked in, the one we built, the one we worshiped at, that one was bigger. This one's smaller. And so they started to despise and be critical of the small new temple. And Zechariah comes in and says this in Zechariah 4, verse 10, who dares despise the day of small things? New Living Translation, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Hey, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And you may say, well, I, I'm the person with small faith. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I'm not, I'm not as big. Into, the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do not despise small beginnings. And the reason Zechariah said that, just so you know, Zechariah knew this. In a couple hundred years, you guys are, gonna put, you guys are putting down this small temple. Guess who's going to walk in this temple? in a couple hundred years. Oh, the Son of God is. Jesus Christ is going to walk in this temple. He's going to teach in this temple. He's going to walk in here and say, my house shall be called a house of prayer in this temple. 
oh, it looks small, but some big things are coming for this small temple. Do not despise small beginnings. Let me finish with this as we close. Uh, I was in a small Sunday school class growing up. In my high school Sunday school class, there were nine consistent people in it, nine. Everybody say small. That's what we were, small. No, we had some others, but they weren't. So, so we had nine consistent um, members of our Sunday school class. And I was just thinking about this, about that little Sunday school class in a church that you've never heard of, that's never made a big church magazine, that didn't make any difference in the world, right? That little Sunday school class, part of that little church. But I was thinking about it, and I started to go through. Out of that Sunday school class, we have eight people that have gone into ministry around the country today. One of them, a friend of mine, planted a church in 2011 or 12 in the state of Rhode Island. He planted the second Christian church in the state of Rhode uh, Rhode Island. At that time, there were only two. He was the second. Today, they're running about 250 people. They just got their first permanent brick-and-mortar building this last year. Another friend of mine just took a lead ministry position in Plainville, Indiana. He just started leading that after being 11 years in youth ministry. One of the gals in there married a preacher in Chicago, one of the large churches in Chicago. She's married to one of the ministers on staff there. Another guy, he's been ministering at church for about 20 years. Uh, He's taken a church, and and he's quadrupled or or tripled or quadrupled the size of that church. Uh, I, I went into ministry too, just so you know. So I've been doing ministry for about... 19 years at different churches and then helped with a team start this church here today. And I could go on and on, and here's what's interesting about that. About a year after I left that Sunday school class, my freshman year in college, I got a phone call one day that said, Dot Bechtel, the leader of that Sunday school class, 85-year-old woman, was the one who was teaching that 80, uh, not 80-year-old, 85-year-old woman teaching that teenage Sunday school class. And she came into that Sunday school class every Sunday And she didn't do any pizzazz. She didn't do anything exciting. She didn't, I'll try to have fun with the teenagers. She came in every Sunday with her old worn-out Bible, and she opened it up and dropped it on the table, and we started to read the Bible. And the Bible started to do its work, and she just planted seeds, and she just started watering seeds each and every Sunday. Oh, no, it's a small Sunday school class, and no way an 85-year-old lady Uh, can possibly make a difference in 16-year-old boys' and girls' life, right? No way that could happen. But about a year later, after I left, the church went over to Dot Bechtel, and they let her know, you are now fired from being the Sunday school teacher of this class. Do you want to hear why? Because she wasn't making a big enough impact. And now 20 years later, look at what's come out of that small beginning. Do not despise small beginnings. The seat is on schedule.